Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In this episode of Fly on the Wall, I am joined by John Hong, a partner at Fifth Wall. We discuss how he plans to leverage his experiences at SoftBank and Goldman Sachs to help scale Fifth Wall's investments and platform, and shares predictions for the next evolution of PropTech. Enjoy the episode. Well, John, welcome to Fifth Wall, and uh, where are you coming in from today? I am in the Bay Area. Nice. Well, obviously, we are so thrilled to have you at the firm, and I thought this might be just a good opportunity for you to give people your background as an investor. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, born and raised in in the mountains there. From there, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, where I earned a degree in international relations and finance out of Wharton and, and really sort of had the great opportunity to, to get a great liberal arts degree with my finance degree. And something that I learned really early on was actually being very focused on people. And so from, from that perspective, uh, I actually thought I was going to be a consultant uh, at Penn. I was part of the Wharton Undergraduate Consulting Club, but got an opportunity to summer at Goldman Sachs and actually ended up finding a bunch of great people and decided, you know what, that aspect is really important to my own growth. And so I decided to go back where I joined them in the uh, TMT Investment Banking Division. And from there, spent time both you know, doing coverage and M&A, spending time in capital markets. And so I had always though, wanted to, to transition to investing and actually public investing because the way I paid for my school and by me, I mean, my family was actually they set some money aside and used that vehicle as an opportunity to teach me about market and about investing. And so from there, I actually got an opportunity to join the Global Investment Research Division of, of Goldman Covering Communication Services, which is primarily technology focused on, on telecommunications. With that, that was actually sort of my first touch of real estate and how, how it actually impacts TMT. Because part of that coverage, whether it's AT&T and Verizon, an emerging growth sector of, of telecommunications was uh, towers and data centers. And that actually relied upon the proximity of towers to provide the high quality service that people enjoy within wireless networks and similarly data centers, right? The reason why we get, we can do a Zoom here is because there's a data center near you and I that, that provides the backbone of it. And actually a lot of these companies and what I spent time there was actually about the ability for these companies to become REITs, which they all actually ended up being. But from there, 
you know, it was a great platform to kind of meet and learn from a bunch of different investors as they kind of looked at the space. And when I decided I actually wanted to go to the buy side, I had the opportunity to join, you know, one of my clients, Point State Capital, uh, as they were scaling out there, focused on, on technology, media, and telecom. And so Point State was a, a spin out of Duquesne Funds and Stanley Drunkenmiller. And actually something that then has persisted through my career is, is joining a platform that sort of had, you know, a solid start, but, but really was an opportunity to help them scale. It came in as one of the earlier people focused on TMT to help really push that. I focus on that globally. Now, during this period when I was there, this was the rise of Fang and a lot of large names. But interestingly, this is before crossovers became really popular. But because of our relationship to both Stanley Drunkenmiller and George Soros, we got an opportunity to look at a lot of private. So I actually started to, to whet my appetite, realizing there was a lot of exposure. And we had looked at investments around things like SoftBank and Yahoo to, to get exposure to, to Alibaba. And actually, from there, I realized there's just a lot of alpha being generated there. And so I thought it was important to actually be a more holistic investor. And, I, and from there, actually, SoftBank then created the Vision Fund. And from there, you know, with these relationships that have developed over time and the importance of working with people that I know, you know, I got tapped by one of the founding managing partners of the Vision Fund to, to go join SoftBank. So I moved my family from New York to San Francisco. And, and from there, you know, almost the last four years, I, I invested in, you know, seven plus announced companies helping to deploy about $3 billion. I had the honor of sitting on uh, five boards, uh, ranging in companies from GoPuff in the quick commerce space to ShipBob in the e-commerce fulfillment space, and then to, to Cameo, uh, which is a creator economy uh, play. And so just a lot of interesting activity kind of ranging in terms of sectors, but, but obviously focused on, on growth and, and late stage. So that's sort of where I've been at from uh, an investing perspective. And, you know, I'm curious from, from that position, obviously, at SoftBank, when did you first start to think of prop tech as a category? Obviously, it, it, you know, has been our core focus for quite some time. And I would argue probably that prop tech's nascency was actually fifth walls. Right. Like we were both born as, almost as categories and fifth walls of fund at the same time. When did you hear about it? And when did you conceptualize it as a unique category of venture? Yeah, probably a couple of years into it. As I mentioned, my time in touching real estate as it impacts actually the, the whole world, much like tech is in, in this this day and age, right? Basically the whole, whole world, like we exist in it. And so very much it, it cuts across industries. And so from a, an actual investing perspective, like I said, I, I started off at um, my career at Goldman uh, within research, also invested in, in these type of companies like towers and data centers in the public markets. But then actually a lot of my investments, right? And we've been very focused on the on-demand economy. Real estate is a critical component of that, right? To the services and goods that get moved across it. So, you know, I didn't, conceptualize it as early as you all, but you know, a couple of years in, definitely had thought about it being a, a core part of my thesis. And you look across the portfolio that I invested in, GoPuff, for example, right? The ability to deliver in under 30 minutes has to do with their ability to reimagine what commercial real estate and warehouse real estate is and how you place that closer to the consumer. Then using data to, to select the right SKUs and then you know, right-hailing algorithms basically to route. 
you look at REIT technologies, which we also invested in, is repurposing parking real estate for the on-demand economy, be it dark kitchens, more recently, uh, COVID testing, EV charging. And so actually, through a, a consistent theme through my my portfolio at SoftBank, I actually touched on a lot of these, these key aspects. You guys just did it in a much more formal way. And obviously, SoftBank itself more broadly has you know co-invested with Fifth Wall around a number of names, be it you know, Open Door or others. And, and what's interesting as you say that is that you know there's this almost very narrow definition of prop tech, which persists, which is the, the notion that what prop tech is definitionally is yeah. the selling of software to the real estate industry, which right. it is to some extent. But I would say that's a that's not all inclusive in terms of what it can mean. And, you know, what's fascinating and what I find the expansive aperture of what prop tech can mean includes reimagining space. Like if you think about the real estate industry, it is really just about the commercialization of physical space in one format or another, whether it's, you know, making things and moving things with industrial assets or where you live, you know, in residential assets or where you work in office assets or where you store things and self-storage assets. And obviously that list can go on all the way to data centers and cell towers, as you said. But yep. what's interesting is that technology is fundamentally reimagining how we monetize space. Right. And I'm curious like how you think the edges of that, the periphery of what prop tech is will play out over the next five years. Yeah, look, and that's part of the excitement of coming over and you know helping you and the rest of the team really scale the platform because I think there are a lot of these things on the periphery. And like you said, one of the overarching macro things that I thought about is sort of proximity and technology, right, to enable these these dynamics of, like I said, e-commerce enablement before the commerce supply chain, right? We we see a lot of that as we head into the holiday season. That's all gotten disrupted, and that's you know at the periphery of the built world, right? But in a sense, it's core to everything that happens in the world, and so. And then that will go inside of it, right? As you look into robotics and automation, given the dynamics within the labor market. And then overall, you have the application of data and machine learning because it is just such a big part of GDP, right? And you just have such an immense wealth of data that can be used to help optimize these things and which eventually will help other parts of, of what Fifth Wall's focus on, be it climate tech and sustainability and, and all of these things, because in the end, by increasing utilization through the use of technology in real estate and in the broadest definition will actually help you know, reduce carbon emissions and, and help uh, sustainability angles. And what's also interesting is obviously, you know, you're stepping in to help Fifth Wall scale its, its growth effort. And I think if I were to, you know, tell our original LPs or anyone who was looking at PropTech back in 2016, because at the time about $4 billion in private venture capital inflows went to PropTech or what is today defined as PropTech. Last year, 32 billion went in. This year, 50 billion is going in. And commensurate with that, there's been just greater you know, dispersion in the size and value and, and complexity and sophistication of PropTech businesses. When you look at PropTech now maturing, what excites you about that? Yeah, look, I think much like you guys pioneered the idea that you could have a, a fund dedicated towards prop tech, it only makes sense that we would then lead the push into growth in late stage because 
you know, I tracked some of these companies for, for many years and to a certain extent, they had been too small. And as you get to out of the venture stage into the growth stage, you start to see who's been able to perform and emerge out of it. And now it is logical, right? As we hit series C and D and, and kind of E, depending on how, how people define it. And then later, as we iterate on this down the line, there will be pushes into more late stage, right? And look, if you take a quick commerce company like GoPuff, which has been around for a while, right? Now that's a you know $15 billion company. That's clearly at the pre-IPO stage that then we will start to have a lot of those very large private companies that I think we will be very well positioned to think about. And then look, the extension of that will be, what do we do when they're public, right? There's still a lot of value created in the public markets. I spent a lot of time in my previous past of actually continuing to monetize that. So how do we really end up evolving fifth wall to a, a life cycle investor? Literally from seeds, you know, series A, support growth, help them prepare for the IPO. And then look, as they're public, you know, especially a couple of years out, some of these companies may still need capital, but just to continue to be that partner until they become the next you know, Google or Tesla uh, of the world, right? And there's no reason why with our knowledge base that we won't be able to eventually support them in that manner. And we already sort of do, right? Given the SPAC product, so. And I think it's a, the SPAC product is actually a great example of, you know, how our unique model can add value to these kind of fast growing prop tech companies throughout their life cycle. You know, when we started, obviously we kind of, in some ways pioneered this model of bringing in the largest owners and operators and developers of real estate who are the largest customers and end users and adopters of the technologies that we're investing in as LPs. And by virtue of that, we kind of became a kingmaker, right? For these early stage right. tech businesses where we could invest in them and then you know, immediately accelerate their revenue through distribution to you know, our strategic LP network. Now, that LP network has obviously grown. Now we have you know, over 70 strategic LPs in 15 different countries. But what's interesting is that the interest from entrepreneurs in getting access to those distribution lanes doesn't really change regardless of stage. I'm curious, like, do, do you see more differentiation in capital, right? And, and the desirability of that capital to entrepreneurs. And how do you think entrepreneurs are starting to think about strategic value add through distribution lanes like Fifth Wall has? Yeah. Look at that. That was an, another part that was really interesting to me because it echoed of what we have seen at SoftBank, right? And so, you know, it, the Japanese kiritsu is an old, well-known term, right, where companies basically go out, form an ecosystem, and help each other. And in a very similar dynamic, you know, Fifth Wall is doing that within the built world space. And I saw that power and benefit, right? If you find, if I find a great company that, on its standalone, is a great investment but I can then help them with distribution and generate revenue, that turns a, a great investment into you know, an amazing investment. And so I think just given the ample liquidity in the market, yeah, it is very helpful because in the end, right, these founders and entrepreneurs are building a business and anything that helps them do that better and easier is really important so we can connect them to, as you mentioned, the king makers of the space. I think that ends up being really powerful because they really just needed money. There are a lot of smart people out there that have a lot of liquidity that could just do it, but, but lack those abilities to make those introductions and to facilitate those partnerships. And so I think that will continue to be a strategic advantage for us. 
And what are some of the big thematic areas of focus for you? You know, as you think about entering this role, obviously learning kind of, you know, the, the, the full scope of what fifth wall can bring to bear to support a company, but yeah. just out of the gates, what, what interests you in the space? Yeah, as I touched on, you know, just continue to push on that kind of periphery outside of maybe what traditionally prop tech has been uh, defined as. And so as I've thought about continued crossover or proximity with real estate and technology, uh, especially as we think about the on-demand economy, right? So unlike a purely digital network online, the service quality and the costs are actually driven by physical location, right? And real estate. And so continue to, to double click into the areas that I've mentioned before, be e-commerce enablement, uh, different forms of commerce within the supply chain, and then also automation uh, of labor, right? Within that supply chain, I think will continue to be really important areas for people to can to explore investments in just to given the the post-COVID uh, dynamics that we see. Yeah, I think I think all of those themes are really important. And I think the other dynamic is just the, the real estate industry is also becoming more consumptive of software. The real estate industry has historically been one of the lowest spenders on IT. So 13% of the US economy is real estate. It's kind of a shocking yeah. stat to most people that 13% of our whole economy is businesses and people paying their rent. And if you look at IT spend as a percent of industry revenue, top line revenue, in real estate, it's about one half of 1%. Most industries, it's around 3%. So as you think about that one half of 1% collapsing to 3%, 13% of US GDP, right? That's an enormous amount of spend on IT. And I think the added tailwind there is this imperative to decarbonize, right? The real estate industry is, you know, massively contributive to CO2 emissions in, in almost an outsized way. It's 13% of US GDP and 40% of US CO2 emissions. And so it has this catch-up role that it has to play right now to decarbonize its assets, but you can't really decarbonize assets without making them functionally smarter, which implies obviously right. more spending on software and technology. I guess, like, how do you think about you know, decarbonization is also being a tailwind to some of the broader thematic trends we're seeing in prop tech. Yeah, look, I, as we've had uh, throughout our discussion, I, I think that's a key part because that in the end is also tied to cost, right? And utilization, which you think about core real estate, if you can increase all those things, that's an easy layup. But on top of that, you're actually increasing your unit economics of your real estate. And so we've seen this in, in other areas, right? Uh, I invested in a company called Flock Freight uh, at SoftBank. And what they were doing is they're increasing utilization of trucks via pooling, which is data and algorithms and software, right? To, to create a much more efficient marketplace. As a result, that allows uh, people to offer carbon neutral, less than truckload shipping, which has been one of the most difficult areas to kind of crack. And I think in a very similar dynamic, that has been an added benefit of both allowing them to, to generate superior returns. But in addition, the attraction to their customers of actually helping them decarbonize a fundamental part of what they do, right, which is move physical stuff. Well, you know, John, I'm so excited, obviously, to begin uh, working together. I think there's obviously a huge opportunity in front of, all, frankly, all of PropTech, and I think Fifth Wall specifically. And I think it's just exciting to see all of the opportunities also at the growth stage, where I think we can leverage all of the intellectual capital that we've you know, harvested over the last two years of you know, prosecuting an early stage strategy now into a late stage strategy, 
obviously with many of the same companies, many of the same relationships, broadly within the same ecosystem of corporates and, and, and tech companies. So just so excited to kind of be working with you in, in that process and, and, and deploying this capital. And yeah, we're just really uh, excited to start working together. Yeah, likewise, I've been uh, so so impressed with the, the team, uh, really excited to partner with you and Brad and Andre and, and Vic and Dan, and really excited about just helping you guys continue to scale the platform because what all the hard work you guys have put in uh, is just an amazing shoulders to stand on to continue to push us forward. Awesome. Well, let's get started. Thanks, John. All right. Thank you, Brendan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.